0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I want to use a verse of scripture here as a, as a beginning point this morning. I want to look at verse 19 that, uh, that tells us something about the character and the nature of God. And as I said, I want to use it to as a, a starting point to talk about God's plan for us in the last days. Now in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, notice I'll re- read first from the King James. It says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, I've looked at this in about, I don't know, 150, 170, maybe different translations. And all of them say just about the same thing. Some of them say different words, use different terminology for it. Some say you'll eat the best the land can produce. Others will say uh, you, you'll you eat the best the land has to offer and, and that type of thing. But you can readily see that, that, that uh, you can change a few words about it, but it doesn't change the meaning. Uh, but I want you to notice something. One of the things that the devil has used throughout my life to try to to rob certain things from me is uh, is the devil whispering in my ear saying, well, that's just for the Jews. Any of you ever heard that? The devil deal with you like that or have I got the monopoly on that part? Well, there is so much of, uh, of what the Bible says about the promises of God and the goodness of God in the Old Testament that, that that's always what the devil has done. Well, yeah, but that's just for the Jews. Well, let's see if that's just for the Jews. Back up to verse eighteen. Let's see the context here. God says, "Come now and let us reason together," saith the Lord. Through your though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as, wool, as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So He's talking about forgiveness of sins, right? Well, who's forgiveness of sins really for Israel or us, the church? God made a way for them to have their sins covered over. But forgiveness of sins is only through Jesus. So everything in the Old Testament that pointed to forgiveness of sins or was an Old Testament manner of forgiveness of sins, which, like I said, was just a covering over. It wasn't a removal of anything. But just the covering over of sins is fulfilled by what Jesus did for us. So if this statement in verse 19, if you be willing and obedient, you'll leave the good of the land, is based on reasoning together with God based uh, concerning forgiveness of sins, then why would God, who never changes, be any different in the New Testament for us when forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins is ours and not just a covering over? Can I get an amen? God doesn't change. If God's idea in the Old Testament for his servants, Israel, and that's the only thing the Bible ever calls Israel, as servants. Well, you know, you hire people to do things for you at, at the house and, and on your job and things like that. Do you treat your servants as well as you treat your kids? Okay, somebody's going to have to answer. (laughs) Would you consider treating your servants as well as you treat your kids? No. We hire servants. We pay them for the work that they do. Our kids are totally different. We love our kids. The Bible makes that distinction between the church and Israel. Israel was servants. The church is his family. So what does he say? If you be willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. I like this from the Living Bible. And the Living Bible is a paraphrase, not a translation. But let me read this to you from the Living Bible. It's Well, let's start with verse 18. It says, Come now, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. Verse 19, If you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Isn't that what eating the good of the land really comes down to? Isn't it? I mean, what else does eating the good of the land mean if it doesn't mean God will put you on top? What does it mean if it doesn't mean God will make you rich? Now, folks, I want to talk to you for the next several weeks on financial freedom for the last days. And the reason that this is so big on my heart is twofold. Number one, the world's in a mess. If you ever needed to know how to reach God concerning finances and receive from God financially, now is the time. Secondly, I believe we're in the last days. And there's a reason for the finances of the world to come into the hands of the people of God, to be received by faith by the people of God, and that is to finish the work because the time short. So let's talk about what the Bible says about God's plan for your financial freedom. Turn with me over to Isaiah 55, Isaiah chapter 55. Now, I'm going to use primarily Old Testament scriptures. There'll be some I'll use from the New Testament this morning, but mostly Old Testament scriptures. And some people are going to get upset about that because it's the whole, yeah, that's just the Jews stuff. But, folks, let me me tell you why I'm using Old Testament scriptures as a foundation for this. Israel didn't have a spiritual covenant. They had a natural one. And the Bible says that you have a better covenant established upon better promises. It doesn't say a different covenant. It says a better covenant. That means you've got the blessings of the old covenant plus everything that they couldn't have. Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know what a pardon is, don't you? Pardon is a fresh start. God is the God of do-overs. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. So he's telling you, here's how the word works. Just like rain comes down and and affects something here on the earth and produces fruit, just like snow comes down from heaven, melts and provides water for the earth so that things are produced. He said, that's how my word is. Well, how is the word? It comes down from heaven and it produces something. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but the word is intended to produce something in your life. It's not a book to stay, put in your nightstand and say, well, here's the proof that I'm saved. Or a Christian or whatever. So shall my word be that, cometh, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Now, notice he didn't say that it won't return. Folks, if you look at uh, if you know anything about the the water cycle, look in any sixth grade science book. You'll find out that rain comes down, it waters the earth, and then that water, whatever it is, evaporates, and some of it goes back up into heaven, and it just creates this cycle. Well, God created that. God knows that's how it works. He made it that way. The word's intended to be the same way. The word come down comes down, produces results, goes back to Him. But not void of power. In other words, the power of the word takes place here, not from heaven. That's why you, that that explains why so many people have the Bible. They know what the Bible says, but it doesn't produce anything in their lives because they're not adding the necessary ingredients to make it powerful. That necessary ingredient is faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews talks about the, the, the Old Testament fathers. The word didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. Where do you mix faith with the word? Here on the earth. And that's what makes it powerful. And then that's how it's supposed to return to him. It shall not return unto me void. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now, folks, I want you to notice those two words. These two things are the purpose for God giving you the word, to accomplish something and to prosper. To accomplish something and to prosper in the thing that he sent it. What is he saying? He's saying there are scriptures that are given specifically to prosper in specific things. Psalm 107 verse 20 says he sent his word and healed them. What does that mean? That means there are healing scriptures that are designed to accomplish healing and to prosper in the area of physical well-being. There are financial scriptures, scriptures that are given by God for the purpose of accomplishing prosperity or provision, to accomplish and prosper in the thing whereto God sent it. The Bible is full of different scriptures on different subjects that are sent with specific purposes to accomplish a specific result and to prosper you in that area. And that's what he's saying. Now, here again. Some people are going to say, yeah, but that's just for the Jews. Well, folks, I want you to notice the context of what he's talking about this. He speaks chapter 55 in the context of chapter 53, which everybody agrees is the the chapter about the Messiah. Is that just for the Jews? I don't hear anybody saying the prophecies about Jesus are just for the Jews. Same prophet, same people it's sent to. We recognize those things for the church, don't we? I mean, chapter 53 of Isaiah says that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. Is that just for the Jews? I don't hear anybody making that claim. How come it's just the other stuff that people say, well, that's just for the Jews? How come the church and the devil, too, is willing to give up spiritual ground as long as you don't take care of any of the things that happen for you here on the earth? Why is that? Why is that just for the Jews? It's not. The context is Isaiah chapter 53, where it talks about the work of Jesus on the cross. Chapter 54 goes further and talks about the Gentiles coming into the church. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2, it says, "...enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes." Who's he talking to? He's talking to the people of Israel. Why? "...for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited." Folks, that happened when Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, was made available to the Gentiles and not just to the Jews. So that wasn't just for the Jews. He's saying here's the result of chapter 53, Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead. Now the Gentiles will come in. What's going to happen because the Gentiles come in? Verse 13, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. One translation says, and all thy children shall be taught by the Lord. I like that. I'm glad I'm not the one that has to get everything across to my kids. I can trust God to teach them too. Verse 14, in righteousness shalt thou be established. That means to be unmovable, to be firmly fixed and unmovable. For thou shalt be far from the oppressor or oppression. For thou shalt not fear and from terror for it shall not come nigh thee. That's not just for the Jews. That's for you and me. Because Jesus is now the Lord of our lives. Because we've been redeemed. Because righteousness, the new creation, is the standard for our Christian life. Verse 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. If he's talking about righteousness, he's got to be talking about the church because they didn't have that. That's the context of chapter 55. That's the context of chapter 55. Now notice what it says in verse, let's read verse Let's read verse 6 through 11 all the way down again. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Thank God he still can be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, what does the unrighteous man mean? Well, folks, all of us were unrighteous before we found Jesus. He's saying to everybody, change your old way of thinking. You know why the church is so weak on financial provision? On the teaching concerning financial provision, because the church never changed his thinking from the unsaved, church has got the same mindset, same idea. I grew up in the church, and wh- whether they told me this or not, it was very clearly the impression that they left me. God doesn't want you to have much. They would magnify people that had worn out shoes and 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 didn't have anything in life. Now I don't. They still took offerings. Go figure, who's supposed to have anything to give? Now, some people are going to get mad at this and say, oh, they're just being arrogant over there trying to treat God, my favorite phrase, is like some cosmic bellhop. I have no idea where that comes from. No, I'm just treating God like he's my redeemer. I'm treating God like his word's true. True.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Now folks, you can let somebody steal your possession. I can go home this afternoon after church and find out that people have moved into my house and, and, and taken over. And I could just walk away. I could say, well, this seems unfair. I could go in my closet and get my gun and clean them out it's my choice and my choice is going to be determined by how much I really believe this is mine and that's exactly what taking hold of your possessions taking hold of the finished work of Jesus taking hold of the abundance of grace that's what that really is all about it's about you determining is the Bible true that says this is mine
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv.
1: Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. That means his thinking. And he will have mercy upon him and unto our God... Return unto God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's clearly obvious. So what are we supposed to say? Woe is me? No. God's saying, so start thinking my thoughts. Thinking my way of thinking. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Well, we're supposed to make our ways like God's ways, aren't we? Well, then why wouldn't we make our thoughts like God's thoughts? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So where are we going to get this new way of thinking? From heaven. What's the revelation of heaven? The Bible. Think what the Bible says. Think in line with what the Bible tells us. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, thither but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower. Please notice that God gives seed to the sower, not seed to the hoarder. Not seed to the complainer. Not seed to the occupier. He gives seed to the sower. It presupposes, it tells you right up front, it presupposes that our attitude needs to be not just for ourselves, like Jesus told the rich young ruler, But it needs to be toward others too. I don't want more just so I can have more. I want more so I can give more. That God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He wants you to be able to eat and to sow. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that thing which I please and prosper in the thing which I sent it. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read from Matthew chapter 6. Luke's account says uh, exactly the same thing, but Luke gives us a little bit more information. Luke says the disciples came to Jesus and said, Master, John taught his disciples to pray. Why don't you teach us to pray? Here's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Verse 9, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first thing we focus on? God being our Father. What Father does not want to do and provide for his children? Who wants a father that's a hard taskmaster and doesn't care about him? Those people that have had situations like that and grown up from situations like that, they've got a lot of things to overcome to be able to see God as their father, don't they? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed be thy name mean? It means we need to recognize who God is. Well, who is he? He's holy and he's a rewarder of them that seek him, according to Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews eleven six 6 says you can't come to God unless you believe that he is. That means he is who he says he is, talking about his character and his nature. And you have to believe you can't come to him unless you believe that he's a rewarder of them that seek him. Why does the church have such a problem with the reward part? Remember the Old Testament story of David? He shows up to bring his brothers who are in the army of Israel. He shows up to bring them stuff provisions and so forth, and here's the story about Goliath. And everybody starts talking about Goliath and, and what a big bad guy he is. David hears him out there uh, blaspheming God and blaspheming the armies of Israel. And everybody says, oh, David asks a question. He says, how long has this been going on? He says, oh, he does this twice a day, been doing this for a month. And they said, oh, man, this is terrible. Nobody will go out against him. But if you ever found somebody, if we do find somebody that goes out there, let me tell you the reward they're going to get. King Saul will give him half of the kingdom and his daughter. I don't know if the daughter was a perk or just a, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the only way he could get rid of his daughter. I don't know. Take half the kingdom, and by the way, take her too. I'm not sure. Anyway, he said, but Saul, King Saul will give him half the kingdom and his daughter. Nothing will be held back from this guy. David went around the camp. Everybody's saying the same thing. And David's question is very, very simple. He said, now, what's the reward? Everybody tells him the same thing. Half the kingdom and his daughter. The king's daughter. Half the kingdom and the king's daughter. David makes sure. He asks three or four times. He makes sure that everybody understands. Everybody's on the same page. There's no misunderstanding about this. He doesn't want to go out and do the job and have to wind up with just the daughter and not the stuff. (laughs) He keeps asking, what's the reward? What's the reward? Finally, his brother's here that he's asking. They said, oh, what are you doing out here? Go take care of those few sheep of yours. David winds up killing Goliath and gets half the kingdom. Folks, God's not a problem, doesn't have a problem with rewards. We might, the church certainly does, but God does not have a problem with rewards. First thing God told Abraham is, you go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do, and I'll reward you. The next chapter of Genesis tells us God made Abraham very rich in silver and cattle and gold. And folks, if it's wrong to be rich, then God is a partner to sin. It's not wrong. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The next verse, the way some people think of today, it should read the next verse said in, Dave, in um, what's his name? Abraham. Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold, and Abraham was very ashamed. <laughs> Folks, there's nothing to be ashamed of to be rich when God makes you rich. Now, if somebody's rich because they've done wrong and defrauded other people, they ought to be ashamed. But there's nothing to be ashamed of when God brings blessings into your hands. God does not have a problem with rewards. That's what hallowed be thy name means. It doesn't just mean, oh, God, you're so holy. It does mean, God, you're so holy. You sent Jesus for us. You've made provisions. You rewarded us. Look how good you've been to us. I don't want my kids to come to me and say, oh, Dad, you're such a great pastor. Who cares about that? I want them to come to me and say, Dad, you are really good to us. I want them to know how good I was. I don't want them down the road after I'm gone. I don't want them to tell them somebody, yes, my dad was a very great pastor. Wow. I want them to say my dad was the greatest. And let me tell you the stuff we did. Let me tell you where we went. Let me tell you all the things he did for us. That's what I want. Don't you? That's the way I want to be remembered. I wonder if God's any different. Or maybe God just wants you to think, glad I made it in, because he's tough. Here's how Jesus taught him to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He certainly wants us to focus our attention on the will of God and the kingdom of God first and foremost, doesn't he? What's the next thing he says? The very next thing Jesus taught them to ask is, Lord, give us. This day, our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. First thing Jesus says about them in their own situations is to ask God to give you something. Oh, the very idea. You can just hear religion bowing its back. The very idea to ask God to give you something. Jesus told them to. Jesus must not have had a problem with that. And then people have always try to minimize it and said, yeah, but, but it's just give us our daily bread. You know what that means? Give us this day our daily bread. You know what that means? That means give us and give us quick. We need something today. Give it to us in a hurry, Lord. That deserved a much better response than I got. Have you seen that before? Well, of course you hadn't, because I'm the smartest guy in the world. (laughs) We don't look at it like that, do we? We think, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, man, in the wilderness, Lord, just let us have a few crumbs to pick up today. No, Jesus is saying, tell God, give us, or ask God, give us, and give us quick. We need it today. Not, Lord, give us our daily bread in, you know, 30 or 40 years. That'll be fine. No, we need something today. I don't know about you, but my bills are really regular. (laughs) They come all the time. And you know what else? God's not surprised that they do. He's not put off by that. He's not looking at us saying, what in the world are you doing with all these bills? My plan was for you to live in a tent like Abraham. God knows where you live. He knows what it costs to live. He's not put off by the 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 price of gasoline. He knows. That's what Jesus is saying. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we need something. We need it quick. We need it today. Then he goes further. And says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want you to focus on the words that Jesus said. Number one, give. Number two, forgive. Number three, lead. Number four, deliver. He told you to to ask God to give you before he asked him to forgive you. He told him to ask, he told us to ask God to give us before he told us to lead him. Told, asked him to lead us. Uh, You know what I'm trying to say even though I can't get it out. He told us to ask God to give us before he told us to ask him to deliver us. The third one. So you got three real important words. Forgive, lead, and deliver. And give is before all of them. God wants to give to you, folks. God wants to give to you. If you don't get anything else out of this, please understand that your Heavenly Father is a giver. The Christian life is the best life there is because God has planned so many wonderful things for His children. He wants you to know of all of those blessings, but first of all, He wants you to be part of His family. That comes only through Jesus. And the Bible says that there are two steps in that. And that is, first of all, to believe that God sent Jesus to the earth, that Jesus died for your sins, and that God raised him from the dead. Then the second step is to confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Your confession rules whether or not you are saved. So a simple prayer of salvation would sound like this. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. Therefore, I confess Jesus now as my Lord and Savior. I thank you, Father, for accepting me into your family. I thank you for saving me. That's all there is to it. If you've never prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. Make Jesus the Lord of your life today. Ask Him into your heart today. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m or Wednesdays at 7 p.m.
1: Love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. It overlooks a lot of things that are done wrong to it. You know, this it's interesting because the Bible talks about grace and mercy together in a lot of places. You know what grace is? Grace is where God gives you what you don't deserve. You know what mercy is? Mercy is where God doesn't give you what you do deserve. And the love of God is both gracious and merciful. God gives you what you don't deserve, and He doesn't give you what you do deserve.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word